It's Twang Tuesday on Sports 1440. On the lowdown, we are brought to you by Wolf GMC Buick. Corner of 184th Street and Stony Plain Road. Hurry in for GMC's Joy to the Ride event. No payments for 90 days on every new in-stock 2023 GMC and Buick. Ask for details. It's going to be a very busy hour. Jason Greger coming up. We're going to talk college football with our friend Declan at 140. First, though, it's Daniel Nugent Bowman joining us, as he always does, every Tuesday to talk to us about the Edmonton Oilers. You tweeted out earlier today, uh, Daniel, that uh, Coach Knobloch had an update on Sam Gagne and Dylan Holloway, and when their return is likely. How does it look for each guy? Hey, Al, nice to talk to you this year. Um, <laughs> yeah, it seems like both players will be ready for the weekend, which means Saturday against the Ottawa Senators. Um so neither one of them will play tonight. They both skated, as, as Holloway did um, during the road trip in, in California. Uh, Gagne uh, stayed home, but he's back on the ice today. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, yeah, there'll be a roster shuffle in some uh, way, shape, or form, uh, I would expect, uh, with one forward at least going down. And, and right now they're playing, or, or on the roster at least, they're playing with the with the six defensemen as lean as you could possibly get. So uh, I would expect by the time they head on the road, Next week they'll um, they'll have at least one forward down, and they'll have to bring a defenseman up too. So there'll be there'll be some shuffling uh, over the next few days. But uh, they can't, you know, with the game not till Saturday, they have they have some time to to kind of figure that out. Well, it does. It, it makes it interesting because Gagne, Holloway, and let's say Gleason uh, as a recall for to be the seventh defenseman, possibly coming into the lineup, and then you know the, the three people would have to to you know move out. So you've got Ernie. Uh, Lavoie, I guess, and then there will be a decision on the third guy. Is that is that fair? Is that what you kind of look at, or do you look at it a little differently? Well, Lavoie is already back in Bakersfield because he was a uh, uh, an emergency recall for Vander Kane being out on Saturday, so he did he left. Uh, you know, he didn't come back with the team, um, so that's one down. Um, uh, you know, I don't have the you know the cap page in front of me. My mind's going a little bit blank, but they're going to have to send a forward down. Uh, um, and I guess probably two. Now, Gagne was on the roster, so I guess it depends on how much uh, they want to accrue. They're, they'd have to take, um, you know, Gagne wasn't on IR. He was, a, he was a, basically an active player, even though he was injured. Um, uh, when it comes to Holloway, they're going to have to take him off LTIR, which is good for them because they can start, um, get back to accruing money. Uh, as they head toward the the trade deadline on March 8th, so that's a huge plus. Not not even um, mentioning the fact that that Dylan Holloway could be a real key piece for this team. You know, as a top nine forward, once he gets back up to speed, um, he was starting to play you know well at at the end. You know, he had a goal, and I think it was in Seattle, and then he got hurt the next game. So, uh, which was not lost first with the team. It seems like so much has happened since then. Uh, you kind of forget about him, but um, you know, Holloway could be a real key uh, key piece for this team. Uh, in a top nine role, um, I, I, you know, again, I don't expect that to happen right away in terms of him being, you know, productive or whatnot. I mean, this is a guy with, with just a handful of goals uh, in his NHL career. He's up toward the 60 game mark over the, the last year and a bit. Um, but you know, once once uh, you know he, he gets up to speed, um, you know, I think you're going to start seeing um, more from him. You know the type of player that that warranted that you know that that first round pick a few you know a few years back. Do you um, got a couple of questions that have come in from listeners, and the first one is in regard to McLeod emerging on the Drysaddle line and maybe a need for a third line center. Do you, do you think the Oilers 
because that, that line with Fogel and Dreisaitl and McLeod is doing so well, do you think it might have them maybe check down from the need for a, a two-way winger or a guy who can come in and play wing? Maybe they might be a little more aggressive on finding a center just because it does give you another center on the roster, and if McLeod does stay there or if Leon moves up, you've got more than enough to be able to cover. Yeah, this is my read on the situation. I, you know, I haven't talked to anyone about this specifically, but I, I just can't see them going into the playoffs um, with with Derek Ryan and James Hamlin as their as their bottom two centers. Like I, you know, I asked uh, Chris Knobloch about that he, about uh, about Ryan rather, who's you know predominantly, other than the very beginning of his tenure as an Oiler under Dave Tippett, has been a winger on this team and, and exclusively with Jay Woodcroft, and and obviously started that way. Um, with Chris Knobloch until, you know, the recent change with uh, McLeod going up to the wing. Um, I see him being a winger again at some point, Derek Ryan, and I see McLeod going back to center. I, you know, this, this line for as well as it's done is prop like, I, I can't see it being a long-term, you know, play here. Uh, I, there are a lot of holes on this, on this roster. Um, I think they, regardless, they need a center. And I think Ryan McLeod will, will be one of them, but I think they do need another center at the bottom of the roster. Uh, and, and I think they do need another forward in the top, we'll say conservatively top nine, um, to give them some options because, you know, Connor Brown at some point should be a top six winger for this team. Uh, if he's not, I mean, you still have Warren Fogel, you still have Evander Kane, who, you know, is in the is in the um, is on the third line right now. Um, they have options, and that's what's good about this team. I mean, Ryan Nugent Hopkins can play center as as we know. Uh, predominantly been been a winger uh, over the last little while, so they have options. I think they still need some help up front, and then we all know about you know the defense and goaltending. But I just don't see this Vogel McLeod dry saddle line for as good as it's been uh, being a long term solution. Solution rather, it, it, it could be a nice uh, you know short term fix as it has been right now, and, and that's great. Uh, but they do need some more help at center, and I think Ryan McLeod at some point will, will be that guy. Um, with another uh, player that they need to acquire uh, down the stretch. Daniel Nugent-Bowman, our guest from The Athletic on Sports 1440 in the Lowdown with Low Tide. This question has come in a couple of times uh, here today already, and it's for you because you're the first media member that I have talked to about <laughs> it. But I, uh, So you're get ready. Um, okay. It's in regard to the, the questions and the answer and the relationship with the new coach, with the, with Coach Knobloch and maybe differences that, that would have uh, been with, with, uh, with Jay Woodcroft. And so just, you know, the, the, the questions seem to be a little more, that little wider and, and maybe, um, the, the relationship is still yet to develop. Does that happen over time? Like, do you need a little one on one time to kind of know the, the nuance and how, a, a, a an individual coach answers a question? Uh, because I, I always feel like the first, say, six months of a new coach, is a lot of very formal questions, and then it gets back to what I would consider to be normal, which is you know quicker questions and questions that are either expected or at least you know kind of um, obvious that can occur during say a post game. Yeah, I, I would say we're still getting to know this coach. Uh, I think fans are still getting to know this coach, and, and, and us as media members are too. I mean, he's only been on the job for six, seven weeks. Well, well, about seven weeks, I guess now. Um, heading back to uh, November 12th, right? So uh, we're still kind of learning how he likes to operate, how he likes to answer his questions. Um, what I'm finding with Chris Knobloch is he tries to let you in as much as he can. Um, uh, you know, he'll offer things like, you know, I think I asked him about, I think it was me, you know, asking about, 
you know, a certain line. I don't even remember. This was several weeks ago, and it was a game where they moved Warren Fogle to right wing, and he offered that. You know, they they dug in on some video on, on Warren Fogle, and um, just um, the fact that more of his scoring chances seem to come when he's a right winger as opposed to a left winger, and they really wanted to try him there. Um, and you know, that Mike, I think it was me, and and the question wasn't really about Warren Fogle, but it kind of spoke to what they were were thinking, which which is good. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I I would say, you know, under Jay Woodcroft, who got a little bit shorter, a little bit testier at times, and especially this year, uh, it's understandable given the way the team was playing. Um, I think it really changed for Jay Woodcroft in terms of, the, of being forth, forthcoming um, during that first LA series, and he, he was open about it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, that, um, you know, when the series shifted to LA for games three and four, um, the Kings practice had a different you know, place and the, like the Oilers practice at the main rink where the games are. And so we as media members couldn't get down um, to Kings practices. We couldn't report on, on things because they practice at the same time in a different location. Um, Kings as a team would not put their information, you know, on their Twitter, or social media, et cetera. And uh, there aren't as many um, uh, independent media members there trying to report things. So he was kind of, he even said like, well, I'm not going to tell you guys things that, the Kings aren't telling that people. So, and it seemed to kind of uh, devolve quite frankly from there where he wouldn't tell you who was playing or who this was starting in net, even on that night. So uh, <clears throat> certainly we haven't got to that point uh, yet with Chris Knobloch. I hope we don't because um, his, um, his ability and, and willingness to be forthright uh, a lot of the time has been very helpful. And, and I think for, even for fans allowed uh, people to understand what what the thought process is and why they do certain things with the hockey club. Daniel, people want to know, <clears throat> you've seen, you've seen uh, Holloway practice. Is he practicing on the wing or center, or does he have any defined practice role? Well, from today, I mean, uh, you know, it's a pregame, um, like a morning skate for a game. Um, so he wasn't taking line rushes. Uh, so he's kind of filling in um, the back half of, you know, certain drills and, and all that kind of thing. So I watched him a little bit, uh, but he wasn't really out of position. And I, I expect him to be playing the wing. Um, he hasn't played center to the best of my knowledge in the National Hockey League at any point, really. So I can't see him being a, uh, an option. I really, I, again, I, if, if they're deciding, like James Hamlin's a fourth-line center, and if they're deciding, at least he's right now, obviously, but if they're deciding to move Derek Ryan up back to the wing, I, I, I would expect you know, one of Ryan Nugent Hopkins or Ryan McLeod, probably McLeod to go back to center. Um, so I would expect Holloway to play uh, where he's mostly played in the league and that, that being left wing. Do you, uh, Daniel, when you, when you are watching this team and around this team, uh, do you get a sense that, because, I, I, you know, there's been quotes recently, I think Connor McDavid mentioned it, that they felt that the, the, the game was turning around just as the coaching change occurred. Uh, Woodcroft seemed to be like a communicator. Is is the style, in your opinion, similar with Knobloch, or is he more of a instructor or or more of a X's and O's guy? Yeah, I'm still uh, quite frankly, I'm still you know getting. I've had a couple of you know brief chats uh, with um, with Chris Knobloch. I know him a little bit from the junior ranks uh, when I covered junior hockey at the time that he did. Uh, I was mostly out west, um, and when I came back to Ontario. Uh, wasn't really covering the Ontario League that closely, but but no, I know Chris. I've interviewed him a few times before. 
um, before he went into the pro ranks. Um, I, uh, you know, I can't say unequivocally, but I, I see some similarities there. Um, I know I think he kind of is like uh, Jay Woodcroft in the sense that he likes to respect players and their time and, and doesn't kind of uh, overburden them with things like when he's communicating to them, there's a point to be made. Um, there's a time and place for things, you know, things like that. Um, uh, what I see in, in Knobloch, though, is somebody who is, he is not, there's no ego there. There's no one, uh, you know, he's not um, somebody who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. And I also think that he has, you know, the, um, um, He's, he's comfortable uh, deferring to people, and, and I've, you know, when, whether it's um, Mark Stewart with the penalty kill, who just felt like uh, would be the best person to take on that role, or really kind of instilling and entrusting Paul Coffey with uh, with the defense, uh, and obviously leaving Glenn Gulson to to coach the power play, which is, has been, you know, with with very few little uh, dips, been been tremendous since Glenn Gulson took that over a few years ago. Um, he lets people do their jobs, and um, um, you know I, I think there's he's somebody who's very meticulous, like Jay was, Jay Woodcroft. Um, but uh, there's some similarities there. But to give you a, a, a you know a better answer than that, yeah, I think it'll take just a little bit more time. Daniel, you and I talked earlier in the year about the the chaotic nature of this year. I think you compared it to your first year when Peter Shirelli was fired, <laughs> and. You know, and I totally get that, and I think that 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 was a really good comparable. But there, it's January second, and if they win tonight, they would technically, based on on point percentage, be in a playoff spot, passing Nashville barely. Uh, if they win tonight, uh, are you surprised at at? I know you're not surprised because you saw it now them be so poor, but are you surprised they've been able to reel in the bottom of the like the the playoff race this quickly in basically a month and a little bit? So this quickly, yeah, I mean, because basically, you know, they're, what, 13 and 3 in their last 16, if I have that right? Yeah. Um, I mean, no one really expects that as good as any team is in the NHL. I mean, that's, that's tremendous, right, losing 3 of of 16 games. Um, but did I expect them to reel in the bottom of, of the conference at some point relatively quickly? Yeah, yeah, I did, because the bottom of this conference is, is pretty lousy. Yeah. Um, I'm higher on Arizona than, than most people and, and the Coyotes have been you know at or just below a playoff spot the whole year and they're not a great they're not a great team and, and you look at the teams below uh, Arizona I mean Calgary's been a huge mess um, you know for as well as the Ducks started um, you know we've seen the Oilers blow them out twice and, and they're they're clearly have some more time to, to do in their rebuild you know you just go down the Go down the list of teams, um, you know, at the bottom end of the conference, Chicago, San Jose. You know, the Oilers are better than a lot of these teams. I think the one team that, you know, the Oilers, I think they're still better than, but uh, there's a comparable there uh, with the Wild. And, and again, the Oilers are better than the Wild, and they've shown it. they could, they're they're better than Nashville. They're better than St. Louis. You know, just uh, no reason. This I think the top of, of the their division with you know Vancouver, uh, the Kings, and the, and the Golden Knights um, have probably separated themselves a little too much. But there's no reason the Oilers can't get a wild card. Like let's let's be um, let's be real here. Uh, again, I think it's happened quicker than I thought. Just because uh, winning 13 of 16 games is, is quite the feat. But um, you know, expected. You know, sometime probably by the All Star break that they would be right there, and and they've um, 
they surpassed that uh, that expectation on my part. So um, a lot of good things happening with this team and and uh, the team that uh, that uh, despite the despite the chaotic uh, early part of the year and and the, obviously the early season struggles uh, should be in a playoff spot by the by the time uh, the season is over. How was Christmas and New Year's for the family? Not bad. Yeah, our our uh, our son turned one on Christmas Eve. So we had we had a birthday thrown in there too. Um, <laughs> a little a uh, little bit of illness go through the house health house rather excuse me, uh, but we were, but nothing major and you know we got out for a, for a family skate and and uh, you know saw some people you know in the last couple of days as everyone kind of got better and um, yeah but as well as you can uh, you could possibly uh, be so. Um, how about you, Al? How oh, I, you guys? Very good. We had a great Christmas. I made turkey, and we all survived. That's the headline right there. <laughs> well, hope it was good. Hopefully better than just surviving. I mean, I hope it didn't look like the Griswold's turkey or anything like that. <laughs> a little bit, but I've, I don't okay. want to say too much because it's still under investigation. Thanks, man. Okay, good. Appreciate yeah, okay. it. Okay, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right, Daniel Nugent Bowman. He is our weekly Tuesday guest, and we love him. He gives great information. I had really good info uh, from down at uh, uh, ice level at practice today. And we appreciate that. Now, Jason Greger is on the way. We're going to talk to Jason about the Edmonton Oilers, what they looked like, what the month of uh, January looks like for the Oilers. And he had an interesting piece at Oilers Nation today. We'll talk about it. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440 with Waylon Jennings in Lukenbach, Texas. Do you know that Jerry Jeff Walker is from Lukenbach, Texas? I know. I know. That's explosive news, but it's true. Lowdown is powered by Wolf GMC Buick. We're joined now by Jason Greger. Wearing a toque. Are, are you, when are you shaving? Oh, another month, Al. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It looks good. Well, yeah, because you can't see it. <laughs> by the way, you are taking this very well, and I think it's, it's classed by you because you'd made a bet and you lived up to it. And I, I saw another media member do something that I think was pretty cool. Did you see Bob skating the other day? I did not. Okay. He, no. he, he skated around. I think it was some kind of uh, maybe Christmas party for the Oilers. And uh, he was um, he was deking out the younger kids and doing pretty well. So Five, uh, He was like Kramer, basically, against the uh, <laughs> the, the karate kids. Yeah. The, the, maybe that would yeah. be, right. yeah, that would be good. a, a good, good way of putting it. I wanted to ask you about the Dreisaitl-Fogel-McLeod line. Because it looks like it's golden. It's scoring goals like crazy. But it does create a, maybe an opening for a third-line center, or at least the acquisition of a third-line center. I asked Daniel if they'd go, how far they'd go with the without another center if McLeod ends up playing a lot on that line. Do you think that's maybe a deadline need over a winger? Oh, for sure. I, I think the other option, though, uh, don't overlook the fact you can play Dylan Holloway at center. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he played center much of his life. He enjoys playing center. He skates. He's big. Now, it's probably not great in the face-off dot because he hasn't done it for a few years, but that would be an option when, when he's going to return and he's getting closer, which is, uh, which is a good sign for him. But yeah, I, you know, you know, Ryan McLeod, it's interesting. Like McLeod is actually, I thought was a pretty good center for a lot of the, the things that you want from a center. Skates well, can defend well. You know, his face-off is improved for a young player and, you know, he's played very well with, uh, with dry settle. The biggest difference for McLeod is where he's shooting from. Ow. No. He's, he's actually getting to the slot a lot. Right, like he had nine inner slot shots in the first 28 games, yeah. which was the exact same rate, 0.3, that he had last year. 
in in this five game scoring streak, he has uh, ten shots, so he's shooting the puck a little bit more. But he has four from the inner slot, yeah. so four and five. He's gone from point three to point eight. Yeah. It's a significant difference. Like people, I always see wow shooting percentage. It doesn't just magically happen. You, if you're going to continue to shoot from the outside, guess what? Your shooting percentage is going to suck. You have to get to the scoring areas if you want to score. As Ryan Smith always said, there's uh, bags of money in front of the net if you want to go there consistently. And, you know, that's what we're seeing from McLeod now. He's not in this five-game stretch. Have I seen him come down the wing and circle behind the net once? I can't recall it. No. But that was like a regular going into every game. It's like, oh, McLeod's going to come down the wing. He's not going to go to the net. and He's just going to go around the net. No. And nothing would happen. So now, dry settle. obviously you're playing – with an elite puck distributor, so that will help, no question. But if you look at where McLeod's going, you know it helps for yeah. him. So yeah, I think the orders. I think they always wanted uh, a right shot center. Yeah, you know whether it was you know Nick Bukestad obviously isn't going to be that guy this year, but you know somebody equivalent to that. I think they would have liked it. Someone with some size, for sure. So, yeah, I, I think it's definitely a need, no question. Does, um, where's Holloway practicing, or has he practiced on a line yet? I uh, haven't practiced on a line yet, but okay. he was skating with the group. And, um, you know, I think now the orders will have, uh, you know, they got three days of skating. We'll know for sure by Friday if, right. if Holloway's ready. Yeah. I, you know, I had said it before the Christmas break. I think, you know, the first game that I thought he had a realistic chance to play was going to be the Ottawa game. Mm-hmm. Right. But then, you know, after the Ottawa game, there's, you know, two more days off because the orders have like the greatest schedule possible in the month of January for them. Uh, well, unless you want to play more. Yeah. But, um, it's you know, really a good schedule. Yeah. As yeah. far as rest goes and who they're playing, they, they couldn't have asked for a schedule to, to continue to make up ground. They're just not going to make up ground in games played. No. And, and you've talked about this before as being a key to the season. They've got to have the backup goalie situation or the other goalie situation solved when, the, when they start playing a lot of games in a very short time. Well, Calvin Pickard, every time he gets an opportunity, he keeps playing well. Now it's different. When you play well against the Anaheim Ducks compared to playing well against Florida or, you know, Vegas or somebody like that, right? I, I don't think you can have Skinner just on the schedule come February that he plays all the tough teams mm-hmm. right now, maybe, but, you know, Pickard's play has allowed them, well, and Skinner mainly, but, and, and Skinner, I'm not surprised by. Like, I, I thought people were overreacting on Stuart yeah. Skinner because of seven bad games to start the season. If you look at his numbers and I, I broke him down, I and, saw that yeah. today yeah. at Orders Nation, like, it's a clear progression. He's gotten better basically over the last six weeks significantly. And like I, I thought he was excellent um, in the first period against L.A., right? I, I really thought that was the difference in them winning the game was because he kept it close, and then the orders were able to come back and win. But the problem, Al, which goalie is available? Yes. Like, yeah. do, do you see – like, Toronto needs a goalie. They're, yeah. they're doing – uh, to Samson off what the orders are doing to Campbell and yeah. we uh, Edmonton fans can say yeah well he might never be back here no. so who knows if Samson off will, will find his game or not uh, with the Marlies although it sounds like he's not even going to play he's just going to practice and just work on some fundamentals and technical stuff while he's down there but with Detroit's injury issues they, do you really even see a team now maybe by the deadline you know as more teams fall out of it you know maybe if Detroit's out do they look to move James Reiner Reimer, excuse me, possibly. But other than that, like, there's not like a real long list of quality candidates. No. Uh, the other thing that really struck me in, in regard to your piece today at the Otis Nation was that you, you talked about how, mu- how many guys are scoring well, scoring well enough to be projected as ending the season with good numbers. What I seem to have 
more talent, like two scoring lines for sure, and a third chipping in, Gagne, for instance. Defense, obviously, Evan Bouchard's doing well, but Nurse and Ekholm have a little offense as well. Seems to be coming from different parts of the batting order. Well, and that's really what happened last year, if you remember, because their bottom six didn't score a sniff in the first 25 games. Right. And then they got going and uh, they all ended up with double digits and goals. So obviously Connor Brown still hasn't scored. That's an issue. There's you, you can't sugarcoat it. But other than that, right, uh, you know, you're getting contributions uh, from lots. Derek Ryan chips in well enough that you would like. Yeah. He's on pace for 10 or 11 goals, which is fine for a bottom six forward. And, you know, like Evander Kane, the, the thing about the, the McLeod situation is um, when I watch that L.A. game, and there was no Evander Kane. It's glaring when they play a team like L.A. that they need his physical play. Right. And not just as a third-line winger. And I see everybody trying to crunch all the numbers about, well, Kane is, you know, his goals for goal against. I'm like, okay, then dig deeper and look at the video and show me where Evander Kane is the one who's directly responsible for goals against. Right. That has to be the next step. If you want to be a proper analyst and tell me, well, the numbers say his goal for goal against aren't good. Okay. Well, then break down and show me. Is Evander Kane the one making all these mistakes? Or is it just one of those oddities? Cause the owners don't give up a lot of goals. No. Right. Like they don't give up a lot of goals so is it just a weird thing that he's been on maybe i don't know but i don't recall evander kane being the the main reason that all these goals against are going in when he's on the ice well he's 50 percent without connor brown and he's two goals for and nine against with brown that's that just math wise that's the issue when he's playing away from brown he's 50 percent and the problem i have with kane is it's not a problem I think he's a really good player, and I think he helps this team. But I would like him to be with one of the really the two great centermen, Dreisaitl or McDavid, because I think that's when he's most effective, and he does score more. You know, he scores less when he's with McLeod, understandable. He scores a little bit with Ryan, but I I think they've got to find a way to work him with a with a a big time center. Well, and I think that's where it's going to be. Come playoff time, Evander Kane's your biggest power forward. When the game is more physical, Evander Kane shows up. Everybody knows that, so I don't mind that they're trying out different things in the regular season. You know what? If you're getting McLeod and Fogel's confidence going, awesome. It's a good thing, but I, I'm not sold that the orders are a third line team and Evander Kane's on your third line. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not buying that. Come play, playoffs is big boy hockey. Everybody knows that it's a different game and it's way more physical. And he's your most physical, your best combination of physical and skill on the team. Yeah. There's, there's no debate about that amongst the wingers, right? Like Zach Hyman might give him a run for his money, but Hyman's a different type of like, he's more of a battler in the corner and stuff. But Kane's like top three in hits. And being physical matters. It wears down the opponents. It has got, some guys don't like it. They, you know, the split second decision here or there that's altered because of it. So, um, to me, Evander Kane is still in my top six when it matters. If he's playing a few games now, um, well, he's clearly banged up. That's the yeah. other thing that people are overlooking. Like he's obviously banged up. Yeah. Right. You're not just going to sit out a game and then play the next night. Like he's obviously nursing something. So, uh, you know, it's a good, it's a good issue that you can move Kane down for a bit and McLeod and Fogel are stepping up, but, does anybody expect these two to score at this pace the rest of the year? Like, hey, Warren Fogle did, did something that McDavid and Drysaddle have never done. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, that's how good it was. Yeah, it They've was. never had five even strength points, and they're all five on five points. Right? Like, only eight guys in the history of the orders have done it. Only two since 1987. And Sam Gagne, when he had his, you know, out of body experience, when he scored eight points, seven of them even strength. Like, it doesn't happen very often what Fogel just did. And he did it in, in 11 minutes of five-on-five five time. It was, it was a really an incredible night. Um, final question for you. Uh, 
do you see Gleason being the recall when they, they've got to call up a defenseman to make it seven here for the road trip, right? Like at some point you have to do that. Do you think Gleason's the guy or, or maybe it's somebody else? Um, I'm not sold. They have to. They're, they're like it's, it's a three game trip. It's out east, but because of the schedule, like there's no games back to back. You don't have to do it because I, I do think they're going to look and say, like to me, it's when they activate Holloway, somebody's got to go down. Right. Probably right? Ernie. Or they could just put Gagne on LTIR, depending right. on it, right? Oh. So they could just do a swap there and have Gagne retroactive LTIR. Right. So they could do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, like they sent Lavoie down, so they're just trying to, you know, save some cap space. It was also Christmas time and New sure. Year's, right? Uh, Gleason was babysitting uh, Pickard's uh, uh, kid too, so that maybe had a, had a small reason for it. <laughs> so I think that um, you know maybe they do call up someone before the the Ottawa game, but it's not a massive necessity because they don't play they have so many ga- days off between games here they have ample time to get someone in how was christmas and new year's oh, christmas is great for us yeah. um you know uh low-key just with the fam is nice uh lots of days on the outdoor uh, hockey rink and uh, my son's hockey team uh, was in a hockey tournament uh, they played uh, six games they played four games in 21 hours wow because the just the the, the plant went down at the uh, at the arena in, in beaumont so things got delayed on the friday yeah and so they, we played at 2.15, 6.45 at night, then 7.15 the next morning and 11 a.m. And I wow. uh, lost in the final. And uh, the kids played great. It was a lot of fun. Did he get a chance to coach up Noah? I don't, I don't think he needs it. He's playing pretty well. Well, he's playing too much. He didn't have an yeah. opportunity to tell him. So, um, But uh, it was uh, it was fun because obviously that was you know where Noah played all his minor hockey and he never really hadn't played a game in Beaumont yet. So he thought nice. uh, that, that was kind of, uh, kind of fun. There you go. What's coming up on the show? Uh, today we will, uh, hey, we're going to talk uh, Oilers and the Philadelphia Flyers, Al. This is uh, one of only three games this month against a team currently in the playoffs. Wow. Right? And the Flyers, you know about the Flyers. They try hard. Yeah. Their work ethic is good. They don't have a boatload of skill, but the Oilers, it's technically coming off a six-game road trip. They're going to have to be uh, ready to go tonight. This will not be an easy test. If you fall behind the Flyers, it's really hard to come back on them. That's the one thing. Yeah. And uh, funny enough, it's Sam Erson who's been on firing goal, but I think it's going to be Carter Hart uh, today for the uh, Flyers. So we'll have lots of Flyers talk. Uh, we'll talk about the uh, the botch play. Uh, but well, botched officiating in the Detroit Dallas game. Oh my goodness. How terrible is that? Like, how can you not, you, you saw Goff instruct the old lineman to go over and, and check in. And then they're like, well, no, he didn't. What? But he went over. So what was he doing? Talking about the weather? And the other guy didn't even go over. That was the, that's the, like, they just got the numbers mixed up. You can't do that. No. Right? Like, that's like, look at the potential ramifications. Well, the Eagles are not going to win the division. That's a tragedy. Well, the Eagles don't deserve to win the division. They They can't beat Arizona now. Uh, you're absolutely right. I have no quarrel with that. Yeah, I might talk them. about out my first fantasy football championship. I might bring that. Whoa! Up. Yeah, so well done. What, who's in the league, Gregor? Or I'm uh, sorry, well, uh, Karius is in the league, but um, he, he did. Karius did something that Al that will never ever be broken again in our fantasy league. What? He was basically the Detroit Lions. Wow! Didn't win a game in what? fantasy football. Did he? Was he drafted Bart Starr? No, that's the other thing. He didn't even. It's not like he traded away all his picks last year. It's it's truly a remarkable achievement. Something that we might have to talk about more. <laughs> well, they used to, in golf. They used to have a horse's ass award. Maybe bring that back for your league. <laughs> Al, uh, you know what? I might have to bring that up. That's that's a very suitable name. <laughs> Jason, thank you. Thanks, Al. Look forward to the show. Jason Greger show coming up in. Uh, math 23 minutes from now we'll take a break we're talking college football next lowdown with low tide on sports 1440 it's the lowdown on sports 1440 brought to you by wolf gmc buick 
Bradbury in for GMC's Joy to the Ride event. No payments for 90 days on every new in-stock 2023 GMC in Buick. Ask for details. Now that song, Crazy by Patsy Cline, I think it came out like in 1960 or 61. And for several years after, um, I think it was Cashbox, not Billboard, but Cashbox, used to report on... Um, you know, you, you'd go to a restaurant or you'd go to a bar, or you'd go to a, uh, any place and you'd have, you know, you could, you'd call up B16, B17 or whatever, and it would be crazy by Patsy Klein on the jukebox. They tracked that and would report on it. And for several years in a row in the early 1960s, crazy by Patsy Klein was the number one song every year. Now, that is useless information. I admit it, but it's in my brain. So it comes out now. Declan has far more valid information about the college football bowl season that is almost completed. There's two teams left, Michigan, Washington. And these are two old-timey teams that were good or or great when I was young. And they've gone through ups and downs, and they were disqualified and ineligible. There was all kinds of horrible things happening. But now they're meeting for the national championship and you think Michigan is going to win this. It, will it be a close game, Declan? I think it'll be a close game. Okay. I think these are the two best teams in the nation right now. There's always a lot of talk about was someone left out. That was the whole reason we went to the college football playoff. Because when it was the BCS system, there was the thought process that, yeah, you know, it's up to a committee. Maybe the third team has an argument. When we looked down the top five teams this year, we saw Georgia was number five. They lost to Alabama in the SEC championship game. Bama was number four. Texas was number three. They got in on the strength of winning their conference and the strength of their schedule throughout the season. Bama respectively lost to Michigan. Texas respectively lost to Washington. I think we now know who the two best teams in the country are. We're going to see them play in the national championship game. I think the two right teams are there. And like I said earlier, I think Michigan has a far superior defense, and I think that's what's going to win this game for them. Washington may have a more high-powered offense. They may have more talent. They may have the better quarterback. But I think Michigan is good enough on the offensive side of the ball and that much better defensively that it's their game to lose. By the way, uh, Switzerland and Sweden tied 2-2. Obviously, Sweden was expected to win that. It's in uh, Sweden, the, the tournament. At the World Juniors, we'll keep you updated on that. Very last time I checked, it was two nothing with four twenty to go in the second period. So good well, for Switzerland, look at back. Switzerland. Yeah, good um, for them. So they're obviously not neutral in this game. So of the players who are draft eligible or probably draft eligible mm-hmm. through the College Bowl season, has has anybody done more? Who has done more uh, to elevate their draft stock? I would say Romo Dunze who is a wide receiver for Washington. Mel Kuyper, who's a guy I really respect. I'm sure most of you are familiar with him. Even if you don't know him by name, when you watch the NFL draft, you'll see his big board. He gives all the prospects and stuff. Mm-hmm. He was Romo Dunze was the number two wide receiver prospect on Mel Kuyper's big board. I still think he's probably the second best wide receiver in the nation behind Marvin Harrison Jr., but he very well could have won the Bolitnikoff, which is the award for the best wide receiver in the nation. And his game against Texas, when he was able to just run very, very basic post routes very very basic nine routes very very basic flag routes but he did it with just enough with the swivel of his hips he knew the timing of his quarterback michael Penix. his hands were always where he needed to be he was able to make big plays on the biggest spotlight and here's another thing a lot of voters for the heisman for the bolitnikoff just college football watchers in general are in the eastern time zone Mm. washington of course plays on the west coast 
this is a lot of people's first time seeing Michael Penix and Romo Dunze in a full game that wasn't just, you know, highlights or the one play of a game they maybe saw on Twitter or something like that. This was a chance to really see what these guys were able to do and how they were able to showcase their skills. This is why everyone has been able to, has been talking about Romo Dunze because of what he was able to do in this game and how well he was able to fit cohesively with Michael Penix. The, the, I realize I also ended my sentence. It didn't really end there. I kind of just stopped talking. It wasn't a very good way to close it off, but we're, we're past that now. The, the, I want to make a point here and my brain is not getting the words. So just let me ramble for a second. Okay. Of course. I feel like Declan. Yes. That college football fans are never happy. They wanted the playoff system. They have it. Now they're not happy. There's players who are not playing and they disagree with some of the, the, the slotting. And so my question to you is, I know they're going to, is it 12 next year? 12 teams okay. next year. Yes. So, which is too many. I mean, will add. college football fans ever be truly happy or is this just one nightmare after another? College football fans will never be truly happy because there are too many conferences. There are too many teams. And at the end of the day, there's not enough objectivity. There's too much subjection by the committee and by the guys who decide the rankings. You'll always you'll always find a fan base or an alumni pool that feels like their team got screwed. College football fans will never be happy simply because there's too much going on. No. I think you're I like I like I asked that question legitimately because I don't know, but I, I, I like I remember when people were bitching and moaning that Nebraska would get, you know, rated too high and they oh, were sure. kind of a boring team, right? And that was like in the eighties, nineties. Tom Osborne, who yeah. when did he coach? You know, long time ago. Yep. So I just think that I just I think you're right. I think the alumni are so obsessed, even though yes. they're doctors and lawyers and, and whatever else you are. Um the attachment one has to their alma mater in the United States, especially in such a huge college football market, is something I'll never be able to feel, experience, or describe. The love these boosters and these alumni have for their school is like something you couldn't even imagine. It's almost like I would almost go as far as to say, however you feel about the Oilers as a fan, it is 10, 15, 20x for those alumni, those boosters in big college football markets. It's like religion to them down there. Yeah, it's... uh it's I find uh, like I I know like I've been to to smaller WHL cities like Medicine Hat is like forty maybe fifty thousand yes. people and they're really into it yes but it, I still think that the 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 college football in the states is sort of like a Rough Rider fan in Saskatchewan yes that's right? a great way to put it especially yeah. in some of this and I'm not just trying to sit here and get political I'm not trying to sit here and. Act yes, like you are. I, I'm not trying. To, I'm not going to try and sit up here and say something I don't know a whole lot about. But you have to imagine in states like Alabama or Mississippi or Georgia, that's kind of all you have, which is very similar to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And of course, there's you know I know there's teams in Atlanta and stuff, but Alabama, Mississippi, these are states that don't really have a heck of a lot going on. South Carolina as well. You know what I mean? So it, th- there's a lot riding on it, and there's a lot riding on how you carry yourself and your mood, really, if you're a college football fan in a place like that. No. no you, this is not a good day to get political. There's lots of stuff happening politically that you don't want to get too political today. I'm just saying, you know, could go sideways. Still 2-2 at the World Juniors. Less than eight minutes left. 
A quick text here from Construction Craig, if you don't mind me getting to Sure. It. No, no. It's Take it away. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it. He says, can you explain the college football ranking and how the playoffs are determined in layman's terms? Yes. So the college football ranking and the college football playoff is decided by a selection committee. A guy by the name of Boo Corrigan is the college football committee chair. Chair head? What's the? Chair I'm not head? a business guy. What is it? He's just the chair of the college football yeah. committee? Max Headroom. Yeah, Max. Oh, yeah. Okay. There. Yeah. So he's that. So he's that guy. There are a bunch of ex-athletic directors and you know ex whatever it may be, a couple coaches, things like that, that are a part of this committee that decide the rankings. They all come together. They pool their votes. They discuss it. Things like that. And at the end of the day, they come out with the rankings. They come out with the college football playoff matchups. They come out with the bowl matchups. That's all down to a committee. Mm. And it's it's never going to be perfect. It'll never be perfect, right. but there's just too many teams. There are just too many teams. And I do think, for as, for as much as I've criticized the committee, and I nailed them this year for leaving Florida State out, and I stand by there that. Was, there was shrapnel everywhere. Yes, and I do, but I will say, I will say, for all the tough times I give them, I do think they've done a good job as a whole in the last... 10 years since the college football playoff became a thing. I think they've got it right more years than not. They have a tough job. I think this year they got it glaringly wrong, but I do think they've done a good job with how much they have to deal with. Um, I got a question here about hockey. Are we are we finished with the college football? Tide, it's your show. We can be finished with oh, whatever yeah, you want. We don't yeah. have to talk about college football ever again if you don't want to. Don't you, I, 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 I want to give you your full... Because we didn't do Mama MMA this week. Well, you know what? The MMA world's been on a bit of a break. There was only oh. really one boxing match to talk about, so we're good there. Well, I know some MMA is a lot about Christmas, so it's all good. LT, would you look at putting Holloway with McDavid and Hyman and moving Noosh to the third line with Kane and Yanmark, or is the number line too good? Number one line too good to separate? Cozy, I would not do anything with the number one line or the current number two line. They're doing really well. But I will say this, that... that um, coaching staffs... Don't ever tell you what they're thinking, but their actions are powerful reflections of their opinions. So Dylan Holloway was never put into a position of trust by Jay Woodcroft. We'll see if that happens with Chris Knobloch. Philip Broberg wasn't put into a position of trust by Jay Woodcroft. And he had Broberg in, in the AHL. Holloway played like, I think, four or five games for Woodcroft. Didn't play much for him in the, in the American League with the Bakersfield Condors. Broberg did play, uh, for Jay Woodcroft. And he was his first recall along with Mar- Marcus Niemelainen, as I recall. So coaches tell you what they're thinking. I don't think they, they and there's a danger there because the line is going so well. But I think Holloway is going to have to earn his offense. And when he starts earning his offense, you love the wheels. You love the character. You love the physicality. He's not a, he's not a, a, a shy violet. He's not. Um, I meant to say something else instead of shy violet. What did I mean to say? Well, uh, something I can't, I don't know. Anyway, he's, he's an aggressive player. He's not shy to get into the play. Is there a shy violet? Declan, set the over-under for the championship. 62 and a half. Wow, it's going to be high scoring. Yeah, off the top of my head, 62 and a half. Michigan's going to give up 20 points, 25 points? No, well, when I said 62 and a half just now, the first score that came to my mind was 34-28 for Michigan. Oh, it's going to be close. Yeah. All right. So I guess the under would hit in that case. But I think 62 and a half is a fair line. 
Because Washington's going to score. Like, you can be the best defense in the world, but with Michael Penix, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, Romo Dunze, you're going to score. So they're going to lose a little bit in the running game with Dylan Johnson out, but they're going to put up points. So 62.5, that's my line. All right. So it's going to be exciting. It's Monday night, right, in Houston? Monday night in Houston. You want to watch it together? Uh, no. no. Okay. No. You can text me if you want, but, like, make it quick. And, you know, yeah. Uh, this text comes in. This is about the Oilers. I don't understand why Kane can't get some sugar time with power play one when the game is out of hand. Throw him a bone. He's important to us. He's got a couple of power play goals this year. Got a shorty, too. You know, I don't think the Oilers short change of Andrew Kane. I think he's, I think they were looking for something for Leon Dreisaitl and they found it. And Kane is not 100%. Jason Greger said it. It's true. So there you go. Always looking for opportunities. I'm sure they're, he's a veteran guy. They want him to play well. Maybe Holloway should be doing something to prove he deserves a chance in the top six from Randy. Well, one of the issues has been injury. That's a fact. But Holloway looks really good. He just hasn't scored well in the NHL. He he was scoring okay. Problem with Holloway and Yamamoto and like a lot of guys, Paul Yarby, although he was a teenager, they don't smoke the AHL like you want them to. Borgo's not doing it. And I don't know if it's coaching and I don't know if it's the player. But the Oilers' young prospect skill forwards are stalling quite a bit in the American League right now. And that's not a good thing. Somebody said something to me down here. Would you bet on if he's if if Connor Brown scores tonight? Will you shave your head? I want you to understand. I will never make a bet about my hair because I'm 62 years old and I have hair. But I am deathly afraid that if I cut it too short, somebody will find a bald spot. Or if I were to shave it all off, it would never grow back. I don't know that that's true, but I'm sure as hell not going to test the theory. So, no to everything. No, no, and no again. I like my hair. There, I've said it. All right. I'm glad to be back, man. I was feeling unemployed. I got to tell you. I was feeling like, God, do you work? I was starting to give myself hell. It was like my dad was in my brain again. Lowdown is brought to you by Wolf GMC Buick. Thank you so much for tuning in. Jason Greger on the way. It's time now for a sports update.